You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting Community Here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hey there, Jean-Marie Penel here with an important announcement. I wanted to share something before I shared my conversation with today's guest. And that is that there are two opportunities for you to get more support, to listen to inspirational speakers and such, because there are two free conferences that I want to share with you. And all of this will be in the show notes. So for more information, please check out the show notes. But the first one is starting November 7th. And that is the fifth Childhood Potential Conference, which is a Montessori uh, dedicated, and this year it is dedicated to babies and toddlers. And I am going to participate in this one. I'm actually speaking on the first day about the importance of observation. This is an important topic uh, that I like to share about. So the Childhood Potential Conference is starting November 7th. This is with over 50 speakers and it is completely free. So check out that link in the show notes. And then the other one is uh, friends of mine, Jason and Cecilia have been doing Happily Family. And I think this is the 11th, if I'm not mistaken. And again, this is a free online conference. It's starting November 10th and it has some world-renowned speakers, including uh, Dr. Dan Siegel that I often mention. He's the one that I refer to, the brain in the palm of the hand. Uh, Renee Jane, uh, Devin Gunsman, who speaks a lot about uh, toddlerhood and so forth. Just a great, uh, great, great lineup. And again, this is entirely free. So that is the Happily Family free online conference called Mindful Parenting and Emotional Wellness. So both of those will be in the show notes, and I just wanted to share that with you before uh, we have our conversation today. Alrighty, enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is Jeanne-Marie Penel, your host, and today I have a guest with us to talk about mental health, mommy burnout, digital wellness, all sorts of fabulous topics. So I want to welcome Dr. Cheryl Gonzalez-Ziegler, and Cheryl, welcome and thank you for making the time to be with us today. Yeah, thank you for covering the important topic of parenting and mental health. 
Yes, very, very important topic. And I feel especially these days as we are slowly getting out of this global pandemic situation where I think uh, mental health kind of skyrocketed. Yeah, it did. It's uh, We're really in unprecedented times. I think that maybe nobody could have even predicted this would be one of the unintended consequences of a global pandemic, but we've seen, you know, any kind, any measure related to mental health go up anywhere from 50 to 70%, um, you know, all trending in, in undesirable ways, such as depression and anxiety, hospitalization, suicide, um, a number of uh, very unfortunate events. Yeah, and I'll be frankly if honest is I had to seek help uh, during the global pandemic. I kind of saw my my mental health waver and, and I wasn't recognizing myself and, you know, something something was up. And sure enough, uh, so I, you know, checked myself into therapy and thank goodness there is great therapist out there. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that's good to good for people to hear you say that. I think everyone has, you know, their own, um, their own signs and symptoms. There's general ones, but then you have to know yourself to say, oh, I'm not myself or, um, you know, I, I want things to be different. I don't think they have to be this way. And unfortunately, all too often people don't seek out treatment um, and don't seek out help until it's very far down the road. Um, and so it's so helpful to know those early warning signs and get help and support when you need it in the beginning. Yeah. And I'll, I'll come back, I'll circle back to, to what you just said. But first, uh, before we get started, I always like to start with having my guests define for us the art of parenting. What does the art of parenting stand for for you? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, well, first, first, let me say I'll answer it from from the two hats that I wear that are related. I okay. On the one hand, I am a clinical psychologist. I have three psychology degrees. I've only ever really focused on children um, and parenting and families my uh, whole career, and. Um, I love kids. So I have a professional hat and then I have my personal hat, which is I have three children of my own that are right now. I have one in high school, one in middle school, one in elementary school. (laughs) And that is interesting. Um, Yeah. yeah. And um, so, you know, I will say I'll start actually with personal. I mean, it is an art. It, it really is an art form because it's like a relationship. And sometimes when people think about, you know, a, a maybe an intimate relationship and you think of the tango and you think of this synchronicity that needs to happen between two people for it to work. Um, that's how I think of parenting, whether it's co-parenting with, you know, your, your child's father or step parents or your partner um, or, it's just the, the relationship between you and the child. For me, the art of parenting is, is like a dance between two people. Um, and sometimes, you know, you want to speed up and sometimes you've got to lay low and sometimes they have to shine and sometimes you have to be the one to take the lead. I just feel like there's a lot of, like for me, it's very analogous to parent, you know, parenting and dancing. Um, 
And the professional side of me says, um, the art of parenting is about really trusting yourself and, and trusting your gut. And you can gather lots of information and read books and blogs um, that, of course, I'm a fan of. And at the end of the day, you have to take the things that inspire you or that you learned and then make it your own. It's your own artwork. Um, and I think that that's really important and maybe even one of the places that sometimes people can get stuck. Mm, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. And I love that you say it is your own artwork, because I was just uh, saying that recently of like, you get to parent on your own terms, right? It's, it's, we all have a different uh, history to, to our own, you know, becoming parents. And I think we all parent differently and need to, to really own that. And, and like you say, trust our gut as to what feels good for us and our children. Yeah. 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 Now, are you a dancer yourself? Because you, you, this analogy of dancing. Well, recreationally, I love to dance. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I always use that phrase. It takes two to tango. So I just love that you use that analogy because it is so true, right? It is, it's a partnership. It's a collaboration. It, It is. And I think that where it can get, I mean, I feel it myself, but where it can get overwhelming is, because it's, I see it as like a partnership when there are more than there, when there's more than one child involved or more than one parent involved. Now we've got a group dance and that's, um, I think more complex, um, and maybe even less personal and less intimate. So then you have to figure that out. And I, I have three and even last night, one of my kids and uh, my husband went to a concert. And so it was just me and two of the kids. And all three of us acknowledged, like, ah, this feels good. This feels like relaxing and calm. And I'm sure I was anymore. It was my youngest that was gone. He's probably the most demanding. Um, and yeah, I didn't have anybody to co-parent with. I didn't have to ask anybody else, like, what do you want for dinner? It was just whatever I wanted to do. So it's just that funny balance. It's just, and I do love to dance and it's my slogan. It's my, my phrase to my daughters. Um, I love that song. I hope you'll dance. I just, I think there's something liberating and freeing about dancing in general. Definitely. Definitely. Now you shared a little bit about your, your professional um, career. Do you mind sharing a little bit more of how you came to do the work that you're doing for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm happy to because it's. A, I think um, it's a more unique story than most people's career paths, and it um, really, for me, has felt like a very natural calling. And that calling started really obviously. What I remember is on my 13th birthday, I got a um, a purple journal, and in the front of the journal, it said. Um, you know, to ask questions, I'm sure like, what's your favorite song? And what's all these different things. And then it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I wrote, I want to be a psychologist. I want to be the Barbara Walters of psychology. (laughs) I love that. Oh, wow. I know. I don't even know. Like, it's funny. I still think to this day, what exactly was I thinking Barbara Walters of psychology would be? But I think I saw her as a trailblazer. Mm -hmm. Um, 
as, as like a role model, which she certainly was at the time. And um, so I don't know, but that's how I put it. Um, and I think that just started, you know, a couple of years earlier than that, really just being a, a friend that people like to talk to. I think people felt comfortable speaking to me. I felt comfortable listening and I still am like that. I like to I try, at least I like to listen more than I speak, except for when I'm being interviewed, of course. But, um, and so I think it just started with that. And I also think it started with, um, I think what added to me being that type of person was that I had a lot of, um, you know, I had trauma, I've had divorce, I've had a lot in my early, early life. And I just think there's, there wasn't anything anybody could say to me that I would judge or that I in some way hadn't like experienced myself. And so I think when you can channel the adversity or challenges that you've had in your life, and you can actually make sense of them and see them as having a purpose as I have, it allows you to use that true challenge as a gift. And I think that's what I did. Definitely. And it's, and it's the fact that you've experienced, you have more compassion to understand what people are going through, which is so valuable in your line of work. So beautiful, beautiful. Now, you know, I just want to go back to when we were um, talking earlier about mental health, and you said something about not seeking help. Where, where do you think that comes from that we know something might be off, we don't necessarily feel like ourselves and yet we kind of brush it under the rug or we are almost ashamed to admit that something might be going on. Yeah. I mean, I think we have, I think we are turning that. I think that tide is turning. I do think that. Um, but you know, certainly different groups, different ages, different cultures view, um, you know, seeking support from someone else for your mental health or emotional issues or behavioral problems as a weakness or as something that should be a family secret. Um, and that can be well ingrained, like generationally ingrained. And I, I see the tide absolutely turning, especially with younger people with, you know, Generation Z and, um, you know, some of the older millennials. But I think that for the most part, it's just, there's still a piece of like, I can do this. Is this really a big enough deal? Do I really want to share this information with somebody else? And so because of that, we have things like even an anxiety disorder. I mean, the stats say that anxiety is one of the most treatable conditions. It's the most diagnosed condition in our country, yet only about at best 30% of people seek treatment. So then they struggle with anxiety disorders when there's a very high likelihood that they could really get support and treatment and really change their lives. So I think that the tide is turning, but I think there's a lot of social and cultural influences that keep us a little stuck, probably especially for older people. Yes, yes. And and you're so right about the, the tide turning because I'm the parent of a 26-year-old. Actually, today is her birthday. Aww. And and uh, it's just, to me, it, it's just beautiful how, you know, already in her life, she's seeked out help. She's She wanted to talk to somebody and all of that, which I don't think at 26, I was even aware that that was even a possibility. So 
it's just wonderful to to see and witness and and know that uh, she's you know looking out for herself. So so yes, wonderful. Um, so I would love for us to talk a little bit about what you uh, call mommy burnout and. It's something that I think is prevalent in our culture today, unfortunately. And I would love if you could define that a little bit more and how the listeners who might feel, be feeling burnt out or maybe don't want to get there, uh, kind of what to watch out for and how to uh, stay healthy. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's sometimes helpful to just talk about the context of how this term for me, mommy burnout, came to be. Um, I was, it was probably between the years of 20, uh, 2010 to 2015 that I started making, um, I just started noticing and making observations. Um, I run a private practice um, in Denver, and I was noticing that particularly women were coming in and talking about, you know, the problems that they were having with their children or concerns they had about their child, any age. And when we did the intake, a lot of times by the end of the first session, they would sort of make a joke and say, maybe it's me that needs therapy. Maybe I'm the one that needs some support or help. And I just started tracking some themes, themes around not having enough time, themes around feeling like they, um, as a mother, they weren't really using their degree or their professional experiences. Um, and that, you know, they swear they used to like, you know, run a company or I used to be a teacher and run a classroom. I have my MBA. Like I've heard it all in terms of almost this justification. If they were currently a stay at home mom and if they were a working mom, they were like, is like, is any of this worth it? Because I hardly see my kids. I'm busting my butt. Um, I'm so unhappy. And so I just started noticing that no matter what they were doing, whether they were staying at home or whether they were working outside of the home, that they were each seemingly almost equally sort of unhappy um, and dissatisfied with life and not feeling like this was what they imagined it would be. So I just started observing that. And then I had my own second child. So I had my first one and that went well and I worked very part-time and I think I had a good thing going. And again, because I do love what I do, like, you know, everyone's different for me at six and a half weeks. I remember being like, okay, I'm ready to go back to work. Like, this is lovely. I love, I'm grateful to have a daughter. I had infertility issues and I want to go back. So I went back very part-time and it, for me, was a really good balance. And then I had my second child and I was busier I was more advanced in my career and I truly had the experience of the way I describe it as drowning underwater. I mean, it just was like, oh my gosh. Like it was like I would dip down into the water underneath it and I would be floundering and then I would come up for air and that would feel really, really good, but it was very temporary. And then I would be back down and up and down and up and down. And I was like, oh this is what those moms have been talking about. Like, I'm pretty sure this is it. Like this feeling. And, and I was having the same feeling. Like, I really want to go to work. And I also don't know if I want to leave my babies. I had a toddler and a baby at the time. And then I started to feel with one for me, 
right? Everyone's different. For me, one was like, oh, this is all pretty great. And for two, number two, it just was very hard. Um, and I just felt like every day, like I had, I had the same nanny very fortunately for six and a half years. And in the beginning, like it was like, oh, great. You know, her name was Emily. Great. Emily's here. When it was the second baby, it was like, I needed her. Like I was counting the minutes till she was going to get there. So it was really different. And then, you know, fast forward to, I got an agent, I had a manuscript and uh, the original version of the book, Mommy Burnout was called Modern Day Motherhood. And I was like, I don't know. It's just what, I, it's just what I'm observing. And so she didn't change. She didn't want me to change the content per se, but she was like, you have to name this, name this condition. So I really took a little time and um, really leaned on the, the research that had been coming out since the 1970s, which was on employee burnout. And if you read the definition of burnout, it's the chronic physical and emotional exhaustion that comes from feeling like you are no longer good at your job. And, um, you know, it's common to have a loss of motivation and passion and sort of start depersonalizing and becoming cynical. And it was just really what I was seeing was happening in parenthood. And so, you know, that's what I called it. And and shortly after I I did a TEDx talk called Why Moms Are Miserable. And I um, read Betty Friedan's The Feminine Mystique. And chapter one of that book is called The Problem That Has No Name, written in the early 1960s. Like this is something that has been going on for decades and decades and decades and I just felt like, and, and in some ways still feel like we're really not figuring out how to do it. It's still yeah. a problem. Yeah. And, and the way that you're describing it, I'm, I'm sensing that it is different from the, the PMADs, the, the, the mood disorders that we might go through during our, whether it's our pregnancy or, po- or postpartum, correct? This is more of a kind of the workload of motherhood. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you asked that though, because here in the United States, we do not have burnout categorized as a disorder or a syndrome, but mommy burnout, um, the year after it came out, the world health organization deemed burnout as a syndrome and it is in the ICD nine and it is acknowledged in European countries, still not here in the United States. Here in the United States, if you have the symptoms that I just described, you would be diagnosed as depressed. Um, And there is overlap. I mean, certainly there is overlap between symptoms of depression and symptoms of burnout, but I actually do think they are distinct. And I think you can be burned out without being depressed and depressed without being burned out. Right, right. And one can bring on the other. Yes. Also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so how do we, how do we find solutions so we don't get there? I mean, I hope that it's, we can avoid it somehow, right? Like what, what do you feel in your work has been kind of the, 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 how would I say the, not the tactics, but really the answers to, to avoiding this, this burnout? Is it, is it more like a societal or can we as individuals, when we become parents, can we do things that are going to help us avoid feeling this way? 
You know, I think there are a couple of things that are really key to um, to really recognizing burnout. One of them is just our, our shifting thoughts around stress and self-care. Um, okay. I think self-care is health care. And that is going to be my mantra, um, I think, until the last day I can speak or write. Um, because we really are at a place where we view, quote, self-care as some sort of luxury or something that's selfish. Um, and when, in fact, I was really studying um, the, you know, the physical consequences of stress and seeing that so much of it has to do with some really foundational, I won't say they're basic, but they're foundational elements of our health care. And one of them, the top one, is social connection. We know that if people are not socially connected, they are very, they're more likely to die earlier. They have cardiac issues. Um, they have a strain on their heart equivalent to eating two double cheeseburgers a day, or, you know, people have heard, or smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Like, that's how strong it is on your heart health if you are not socially connected. And I start with that one because becoming a parent can be quite isolating. And um, especially if you choose to leave your career or even just put it on pause and decide to work from home or in your home when, and having your family be your primary work, that really puts women at disadvantages all over the place, social disadvantages, career disadvantages, um, and is really detrimental to us. So that is first and foremost. Um, the other pieces are, which, which, is a, which is a positive of the global pandemic, is we know that there are some things that employers can be doing that would make work-life balance a lot more achievable, particularly for women. Um, things like flexible work schedules in childcare, um, you know, mandated vacation time, mandated, not like you have to be vacation and take it if you want, but actually you have to. Um, we know that managers and CEOs and, you know, people who are in leadership positions, if they model self-care and they do it themselves, they have healthier, more productive, more successful workforces. There are things that we can be doing on a micro level and a macro level that would actually have positive con consequential impact on women and therefore children. Um, and so those are, you know, just some examples of places we can start. And there are many more. Yes, yes. And I think, to me, that's very societal and, and cultural, because I, I was raised in both Europe and here, and I birthed my first child in France and the second one here. And there is such a huge difference in how we care for families uh, in those, in the different cultures. And I think that that's, that to me is like a big, <laughs> a big issue in, in that whole, you know, feeling isolated and not having that support and just, you know, just even like maternity leave that, that, that there is no regulation and, you know, that some companies can say that there is no maternity leave and others will say yes. So that to me seems absurd, but that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, and, and that's the thing and, and why I actually do like to talk about it, even though, you know, this is the Art of Parenting podcast, 
just because you're a parent, like we're all humans and we, we hold many different roles and many people listening may be a parent and an employer or an employee or in a leadership position or in a community volunteer kind of leadership position. Like we all have places of influence and most of us have more than just one role. We have multiple important roles. Um, and I think, you know, the world's problems can seem quite big and maybe for some people they don't know what they can do, but there really are things that we can do, even the way women support other women. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I write about in Mommy Burnout is to ban busy. You know, if we keep walking around talking about how crazy busy we are, it busy builds walls, right? And so there's this barrier. If I tell you I'm so busy and then I'm not approachable and then therefore maybe we don't have a social connection and then maybe we don't become friends or even just supportive parents raising kids in the same community. There's a, there's a consequence to walking around with busy as a badge of honor. And so, you know, even just little things like that, really being mindful of how we present ourselves out to the world and what the consequences are of that. Yeah, lo love that you say that. And I think that there is an awareness about that of, of this, you know, needing to always be doing something and, and such. And, you know, there is a whole movement to slow things down and, and slow living. And, and, and I'm hoping that we're going in the right direction there. But it's true. Busy, like, oh, I'm busy is, is like, you know, the hello of today of <laughs> I'm fine. Thanks. I'm busy. <laughs> Right. Don't talk to me. Exactly. Yeah. It means that's what it means, right? It gives off the impression of don't talk to me or I don't have time to talk to you. Right. Right. Um, and then I stay away, right? Like I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna talk to her. She's so busy. Right, right. No, so true. So true. And when you uh you talk about also digital wellness, can you elaborate a little bit on that and how we can improve the digital wellness? Because I think to me that is also you know, an issue of, of today, right? I mean, I growing up, there wasn't anything digital. And today, I mean, my children were born in the digital age. And uh, there seems to be a lot of disconnection because of it. Um, so what do you mean when you talk about digital wellness? Yeah, it's actually a term I, I sit on a advisory council with at the time, um, a young man who was a senior in high school had this idea. He's a really brilliant young man, but um, he had this, you know, idea that he wanted to really sort of teach parents about digital wellness and digital balance and that, you know, it's here to stay technology. And yes, parents, let's say of the Gen Z generation, it's, you know, it's still something we struggle with. We can't quite figure out how to parent it. And maybe when we finally figure out how to parent one aspect of it, boom, there's a new app. That one's gone. This one's out. Like there's a new online predator type of issue. I mean, it just feels so true. Yeah. It's like so overwhelming. Right. So it was great. Um, he came to me, his name's Jack and said, would you be on my advisory council? And I said, yep. And I really have, I'm sure I've learned more from him than he has learned from me because his perspective is digital balance and teaching boundaries and limits and for parents to celebrate, um, you know, that there are opportunities for connection on even video games, right? We know boys socialize on video games. Um, 
And then um, he just really brought that to light. And then I have, you know, since then translated it for me in the work that I do, which is very much around there can be, I mean, it's even gone another level since I started working with him. Like at first it was very much a parenting thing. Like, yes, these are some ways we can support our kids and be interested in the YouTube video they, they want to show you and not deem the phone or the iPad as the enemy, but rather as something that just like anything, just like Facebook for us, it can be positive, right? You can connect with people. It can also be very toxic. Um, and so, you know, that was his, the spirit of how we started our work. And then I've taken that from being involved in digital wellness to then expanding that to actual digital behavioral health. Um, and, you know, during the pandemic, that became a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, and so I've been a part of, you know, consulting with a couple different companies on that, which is really saying, you know, particularly teenagers, but also children these in this time of day, they are always on their phones. They have a device with them at all times. So why not deliver them the mental health behavioral services that they need within that context? Why not have, I mean, there's free apps too. There's free apps. There's apps that companies get through their benefits programs. There's nominal fee kind of apps where Kids can do everything from watch videos, um, speak to a psychiatrist, speak to a counselor, do telehealth, um, do, you know, texting back and forth, which they love, um, you know, and just get a lot of really solid information. There's a lot of information online if you if you look up, you know, what to do with anxiety, but it's really hard, especially if you're 14 or something to figure out, well, what's the right source? So I've really taken, I've really embraced the notion of technology as something that is part of our healthcare system now. And I think that we have, we as parents have to figure out how to educate ourselves and embrace um, these changes. I love that. I love that because when I first, um, you know, saw, saw the term on your site, I thought it was going to be more about, you know, how to limit our time on the devices and so forth for, for our mental health. Because I personally, I have seen when I'm not in a good place, the social media apps do not help <laughs> my mental health, right? They, they take me down a, a very bad uh, rabbit hole of, of, you know, comparison, and you feel like, you know, you're a failure or whatever. Um, and I, and I usually just delete everything for for a week and then I'm much better. But here you're talking more about really using the digital world that that has been created and like Jack says it's not going anywhere and you've used it in a positive way to really create tools to help us with our mental health. Correct? Yeah, I think part of digital wellness is what you said though. It is it's to teach your child, just like we teach them about ice cream and candy bars, right? Like, we're not going to say you can't ever have candy. Well, some people might, right? But those are the kids that wind up sneaking it behind your back and consuming probably more than they would have if you would have just allowed it, right? And so, it's, yeah, it's just the balance. So what what I'm talking about in terms of like digital wellness when I do talks with groups of parents is so exactly what you said. You're having a really bad day at school. Uh, somebody made fun of you on the bus. You feel like terrible about yourself or somebody's bullying you. Coming home and scrolling TikTok 
makes you feel how, Mm. right? Like as a parent, you would be curious because my lead in terms of parenting is with curiosity. There are things in their world, no matter how many years, I cannot study childhood anymore. Like I can, I can keep learning though about the new child's world, right? That's an ongoing process for me. And so for me, it's partly like, um, so how do you think you would feel, you know, like you just had such an awful day. If you spent the next hour scrolling TikTok, how would you feel? Right. And let's say a kid's going to say, well, it's good. It's good, mom, because I don't want to think about anything and I don't have to think about anything when I'm on TikTok. Oh, okay. That's true. So for how long do you think you would still be feeling good? Like it's a good distraction. We all use the distraction, right? Adults do distractions every single day. Oh, and then if, you know, if you're curious and you're not judgmental, what you can probably get any kid or teenager to agree on is for a certain amount of time, maybe that's 10, 15 minutes, it will feel good. It'll kind of make you laugh, get your mind off of things, right? Make you think about something else. And then in partnership, you want to get to the point where you say, but at about minute 20 or at some point, right? Some defined point, you start to not feel so good right? And it's kind of like eating too much candy. Those first couple of bites, that first candy bar on Halloween is like the most amazing thing. At the end of the night, if you've eaten half the basket of your Halloween candy, you get a stomach ache, right? So that's the analogy, an, an analogy I've actually never used before anywhere. But like, that's the type of sort of curiosity and digital wellness that I think parents and kids have to partner with each other on. So the parent gets to use their expertise in knowing like you can't have too much of even a good thing. Um, And, and we need to be also open though, to that kids live a very different world and they process their feelings and connect with others in different ways than we did. Mm -hmm. And how do we get to a good place and a healthy place? Right. Right. No, that's so true. And I love that you say, you know, curiosity, because to me that is always the way of helping them find the solutions, right? Where we can't be telling them what to do. It's more, you know, what what's going to work for you, what's going to make you feel better. Um, so I really like that. Wonderful. Now, um, thank you for all of this. This this has been wonderful and I could go on for a long time. But just to kind of wrap things up, I would like to ask maybe a more personal question, if I may. Mm-hmm. You said you had three children. So your high schooler is how old? 14. 14. So if you were to go back maybe 15 years ago when you were expecting your first child, that I think you said a daughter, um, what wise words or what advice would you give the pregnant Cheryl to, as she is about to embark on motherhood, on parenthood, what would be those wise words? Mm, That's a great question. I think that I would tell her to be forever curious and playful and to know that from the start, she is going to be learning the whole time and that Nobody knows what they're doing, but that the wisdom is inside of you through hundreds and thousands of years before us. We have all figured this out, that there's not one recipe, there's not one formula, that if you can be 
playful and relaxed and curious and engaged, you will get there. You will get there and you may have other children and it might be different. There isn't, it isn't a one size fits all and it might be different, but for your first one, just focus on the experience and the process. And just like everybody says, um, I would remind her that it goes really fast. Love that advice. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, Any parting words or takeaways that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I've been thinking about lately in terms of parenting is how much um, easier it is to parent when you are in community. And what I mean by that is, so yes, I have a freshman in high school of course, I'm the strictest mom ever. She, <laughs> you know, she got a phone um, the last week of seventh grade, so she could have people's numbers and snaps for the summer before eighth. Um, and that is really hard to do. Like, that's just one example. Other people, it could be whatever community you need, like raising vegetarian children, um, raising children on the spectrum. You know, it could be whatever community that's going to be. But to do it in community is so much easier than to be on your own. And, um, you know, that means kind of attracting in people with the same values that you have. Um, For me, it's, you know, it, it is probably considered sort of strict for today's standards, but I know too much about you know, social media and all those detrimental um, outcomes. So yes, I am very strict about social media and my daughter has had most social media and she's made a mistake on every single platform at some point. Um, And that's with a parent that talks about this stuff all the time. So it's easier for me if I can have, it doesn't have to be a lot of people, but just a few people in my community that share similar values Um, that I can do this with rather than saying, yes, you're the only person that doesn't have that app or doesn't have a phone or can't stay out past 11 freshman year or whatever it might be. Um, I think that if you look for those people, what you're going to find are other people who are raising their children with similar values. Hmm. That's, and thank you for that. Because uh, for me, you know, I always say parenting was never meant to be done alone. And it's true, you know, you were saying earlier how we are parenting in, in total isolation. But we do have the possibility to create community, I think, with the digital world uh, and to find, uh, you know, I, I would prefer in person, but we also do have kind of the, so, those support groups and, you know, like you say, homeschooling mom or, or you know, wh- whatever community suits, your, suits you, but it is so important to, to be together. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that. Well, this has been delightful, Cheryl. Thank you so much for making the time to be here with us. And uh, I really appreciate all of your wisdom. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really, um, I just appreciate it. And thanks for shedding light on, on parenting. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. And do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.